just nine miles east of central London, Barking and Dagenham Giving are trying something that has never been done before. Their Grow Fund, England's first community-led investment fund, is backing community enterprises that will make a commercial and social impact in the borough of Barking and Dagenham. So, what makes this fund so special? Well, it was the local residents who decided how the fund was managed and invested. So join me as I speak to the business owners, the decision makers and the charity at the helm about what happened next. I'm LB Matty. Welcome to Nine Miles East, a podcast about a financial first. Barking and Dagenham has seen a lot of changes over the years. It was once a less than positive place for people of colour to reside. But it has since transformed into a borough that is thriving with cultural diversity and a wealth of opportunities. And there's something special about seeing the opportunities and potential of your area and wanting others to see it too. Staying in a place, striving for better and building with the people around you instills a certain kind of pride that can be infectious. The old saying goes, the grass is greener on the other side. But maybe the grass is simply greenest where you water it. Watering their local grass and showcasing the amazing talent that resides in the area is what One Room Live and Area 44 are passionate about. AJ Hastrup is the co-founder, social designer and events lead at One Room Live. Ade Youssef is head of collaborations and partnerships at One Room Live. And Edam Satrapia is the co-founder, studio and band manager at Area 44. As a collective, they produce local events and bring people together through creativity and music. AJ shares a little bit about living in Barking and Dagenham. My experience of Barking and Dagenham over time, it's been an interesting journey. I think growing up around here, I never thought it was a space that had like many opportunities or a space that I saw myself in. Um, but there was a distinct change when I started dibbling and dabbling in the arts and culture world and start seeing that there is roots and opportunities that have been made clear. But what does it look like to join in? What does it look like to make that path more open for people that come for the communities that look like ourselves? So I think that's been a, a mission that we've been on of understanding how else to make those, those pathways accessible and kind of change the narrative. Ade shares more from his perspective and highlights Barking and Dagenham's social progression over the years. So my experience at Barking and Dagenham has been um, yeah, really interesting. I think we, as a family, moved into the borough when I was six years old. And within the first couple of years, our neighbours tried to burn our house down a couple of times with us in it at night. So for us, that for me, that's the, that's the beginning of my time in Barking and Dagenham. But then as times progress, it's been really transformative, I think being part of an area that was kind of seen as like a castaway area by the rest of London really created a really unique environment for the people who found themselves there to kind of emerge out of and I think that's kind of what we're seeing now so for me it's like it's gone from that like being being rehoused amongst people who are literally trying to kill you to being part of community initiatives to try and address some of that that tension or that misaligned and, and create spaces that can help people not have to confront or be faced by that anymore. So um yeah, it's been a it's been a really interesting progression for it. For AJ, 
What makes Barkin and Dagenham unique? What I think makes Barkin and Dagenham unique, I think with the influx of like new migrant cultures that have now kind of prospered, I think we're seeing now the tipping point in what that means when all of those children of those generations are now in a place where they're economically viable, making changes, but also they're at the forefront of like the cultural ecosystem of London in arts and culture. And I think because of the nature of where Bark and Dagenham is placed right now, this is where the people are. People are choosing to move here because it's cheaper, but also over time, these children that have never found place for themselves have had to go to other places to learn those things. And now they're bringing those skills back and showing them to the forefront. So I think it's one of the few places where all of those things are happening at the same time. AJ also recognises Barking and Dagenham as a place with creative energy and people who continue to make something from nothing. I think the history of Barking and Dagenham and the narrative of like being a working class and working class kind of area also then feeds into that space of like making something out of nothing. And I think that's the exciting part that we're seeing now where yeah, traditionally people have always been creating, but now they've got the infrastructure to support them. And also the eyes are on, are, are on us, the skills are available. And yeah, we're one of the youngest boroughs. I think the stats speak for themselves. I think outside of Croydon, we are one of the most diverse places now in London as well. So I think particularly anecdotally, yeah, some unique circumstances that are making this a very exciting place to be. Ade opens up about why he decided to stay in Barkin and Dagenham after university and how he discovered One Room. It wasn't important for me to stay in the borough initially after after uni. I think it became important when I started to feel rooted in what was coming out of the borough. I came across One Room because of a pursuit of, it, of escapism. And when I found One Room, and it was almost my escapism is in the borough I live in, I don't have to leave. What does it look like to develop that further? When and how was One Room set up? And what is the vision? So I think the company was officially set up 2021. That's why we registered. But as a as a group, we've existed. That one room existed since 2017. As a originally for myself, it was a YouTube idea. It was going to be a YouTube channel that highlights artists from around the borough, shows visuals, blah 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 blah. And then we met Akinele working at Everyone Every Day, and a lady called Zoe as well. And then through that kind of interaction, the idea of One Room as an events platform that does things in the physical was born. So One Room went from One Room to One Room Live. And One Room Live as a collective, as a platform, as an events company, then grew like around 2018. Ade breaks down his reasons for joining One Room and how he used the opportunity to give back to his community. When I joined One Room, it was initially just because I felt like I'm showing up to these events. I feel really nourished by this. This is giving me an escape I, I need. How can I contribute to this? Because it's starting to feel like I'm taking more than I'm giving. So that was the underlying thought process behind me wanting to support. And I remember the first thing I offered is I, I had a driving license and I didn't know what else I could do to, to be a part of it. And they had an event, so I offered to rent out a car to help do some logistics. And then in the end, it wasn't needed, but that was the end. It was the, I was just looking for an opportunity to do, to do something to give some of that, that positivity that I gained back. I built it up a lot in my head, but it was easy to do that because I was definitely more of a community atmosphere at the time that I joined compared to what I was imagining. I was imagining like this really like rigid company, but 
now that I'm inside it, I, I see exactly why that was. It was something created for the community, by the community. So it was easy to to find the path in, especially based on wanting to to give back some of that positive energy that I've personally received and benefited from. The One Room and Area 44 teams have a special chemistry. AJ breaks it down further. We started this thing on such pure and innocent levels, but because of time spent, because of things that have happened, you then need to understand what who you are to each other in a really deep sense and the differences. And yeah, and I think that's kind of where we're at now with One Room as a, as a whole, of like really understanding ourselves in a deep level. And I think one of the things that the Growth Fund has done is given us space to do that knowingly and unknowingly. And now we're kind of at that transition point of like taking the next step as we evolve as individuals and as, and as a group. So we've heard lots from AJ and Ade so far. Let's hear from Adam Satrafia, the co-founder of Area 44, who was part of their joint application for the Grow Fund. Adam is the co-founder, studio and band manager at Area 44, a music studio offering space and equipment for hire. As you can guess, music is a big part of Adam's life. Adam tells the story of how he started working as part of the One Room Live team. So with One Room Live, it was actually an interesting story. So I knew a few friends that were kind of part of One Room, but I wasn't necessarily sure what One Room was and I hadn't been to any events. And this was kind of just a little after a year of finishing uni in 2017. Like I think I'd taken a couple of jobs, work and so forth, but I was still in the local area. And then one day, so I had a talk with Aji, one of the guys in One Room, and he was like, oh yeah, come down. Um, we're having a meeting next Y and said, you can meet just see a couple of the guys. So I came down and I was literally doing my work, just planning to be like a fly on the wall for the meeting. And before I knew it, I was in the discussion and telling people my skill set, what I could do. And by then it was like I was already a part of the team. And from what I saw, it felt like I could really bring a lot from my knowledge of music and like how far I've worked with like mixers and speakers, wiring, cabling and church and even like little bits of production and stuff that I was starting to get into, I knew that this was a place where it was almost like an extension of the music that I like to know or listen to. R&B, your Soul, like SoundCloud artists and stuff like that, but also being able to connect with people within the local area, some who I knew, some who I didn't, but always still connected and within reach to start kind of building that community and the events were live you know what I mean and it, it was the aesthetic and everything made it feel like a comfortable place to bring my authentic self to um, and then from there it was really kind of gone oh just hit the ground running and I've always been kind of in the mix with one room trying to sort out the event processes you were transporting um, staff making budgets and finances and kind of utilising every skill that I had um, to be able to help one and flourish because it's something that I believed in. The guys tell us about some of their standout events. I would lean more towards the festival in terms of scale and ambition, yes, but also in terms of how galvanising that was for the people in the team. I think that's, for me, that would be like the really main one to, to hit. Um, I think a lot of our team culture kind of really came out of that intense period of time of working. I know in collaborations and partnerships, a lot of the things we set up from then, we still use to this day. 
I think not another lecture as well, because I think for me, that's something with my um, background being quite academic. It's something that is a really interesting thing for me of like, actually, we did de deconstruct a pretty heavy topic and people could engage with this thing that would normally be miles away from them. And it was a lecture, but it was just structured in a way that you wouldn't have noticed. So I think in my mind, those two things are really good demonstrations of, of the scope, but also good repetitions of intention, but in completely different ways. One of Ade's favourite events is the creative learning experience. What is it? How does it work? I'll let Ade explain. I think for me, the creative learning experience stands out specifically. I think it was a free to attend series of workshops based around creative practices, photography, graphic design, and textiles. And the purpose of that was to research if we could draw down funding to create this, this mini curriculum, pay local artists and creators a very fair amount. But in doing that, we are making these, these skill sets free and accessible to local children, I think, between the age 18 and, and 16. So, and we just wanted to engage in this practice, see how it goes um, and see what we would need to tweak to do this. It was a really interesting thing for me because it felt like a natural progression. We as a creative collective have loads of creatives who have skill sets, who could monetize them. As children of the borough, we're very aware of some of the, the accessibility concerns for sessions and learning opportunities for young people in that 16 to 18 um, age bracket. So for us, we just wanted to see like what actually happens if all of those concerns don't exist. You don't have to think about paying to go to the session. It's free. You don't have to leave your borough to go to the session. It's right here. And as the practitioner, you don't have to hold back on the quality of the session you deliver because you also feel that you've been catered to um, appropriately as well. AJ shares more and sheds light on the support and challenges around launching the Lockdown Festival and how working with BD Giving helped him and the team overcome some big challenges. To get that funding, people had to vote for us to get it. And I think in that patisserie system, it felt like a big vindication of our energy being real. I think in that time, things like entertainment and art were shown to the side and it was only the essential things that could happen. So through that process of us saying, actually, arts and culture is the answer, um, or could be an answer, it felt like, oh, like our work is important and it's included in this ecosystem of healing and change. But then outside of that, it was hella ambitious and we've never done something like that before. And I think that was also exciting, but scary at the same time. And then the challenges of getting space and understanding space. And actually one of the people, one of the groups within the Grow Fund, Carol, the Boathouse, was a saving grace for us. AJ connected with another Grow Fund recipient to help with finding space. Remember Carol Pluckrose who runs the boathouse? Yes, that Carol. Let's hear how Carol came to the rescue. We had a venue, we wanted to go along with it, and then on the day our venue got locked off. And then people gave us some numbers and we and then we called up Carol. We were like, Hey Carol, by the way, can we just move this whole thing to your venue like now? Now <laughs> And she was up for it and she made something magical or like the boat house and the team allowed something magical to happen or allowed a seed to be planted. So that was a, that was a moment. 
So someone comes to us with an idea and they'll say, um, we want to do this, what do you think? And I'll say, well, let's take a punt on it. Coming to the actual technicalities of what happened, the content of what happened, where Buck and Dagnum, BLM, have a podcast discussion. There was another podcast group there where the um, artists that have never performed on that scale before, but also, uh, yeah, we had Clarissa, we had Ethereal, we had so many names that were local people that were able to showcase all their stuff. Um, we had a fashion show with New Wave magazine. Um, and I think then also um, through Akalela's con connections, we had Miss Banks come down to Barking as well, which for some people was like one of the wildest things that could happen. Like, like an artist of that caliber comes down to where you live. So that was also a big narrative shift at the time. But I think the thing that is most exciting, but also a shame, is all the things that didn't happen because of how we had to change things so on the fly. Um, we had whole exhibitions that didn't occur. We had artwork that people wanted to showcase, collaborations, playlists, so much more that was ready to go. So for us, there was still a little bit of like, if we could do this again, how much more could happen? So I think that seed was planted and that festival as a concept and as, as an idea is still something that we're thinking about readily as a group and want to reactivate whenever the, the alignment comes again. And I think as cultural producers, sometimes we absorb some of those costs that money can't vindicate because we want the good thing to happen. And I think that's a general discussion that we all as practitioners need to have more of, of like, what does it actually cost to make these things happen? And again, things like the growth front are paying it forward in a way, because sometimes it's not even the action that you need to show is that you've got to this point, which means that you've done sort of work to get here and it pays for that. Another exciting venture that Aiden Ade are involved in is Area 44, another creative outlet for young talent. Area 44 and One Room Live made a joint application for the growth fund. AJ takes us behind the scenes of Area 44 and explains more. Area 44, it's a music production company and studio space at the base level. So they have spaces for production for people to hire their, their space. Um, but through that infrastructure, they have different streams. Um, they have APC, which is an area practice collective, which is like a collection of like yeah, musicians, hobbyists that want to practice together literally um, and get better at music and then they also have a regular cypher space that Jordan leads as well and that again is to make that that part accessible to create space for musicians in these kind of streams to come together and make music and heal and showcase their stuff. Adam, co-founder of Area 44, returns and opens up about what the Growth Fund means to him and what it's allowed him to do. The Growth Fund to me has meant like validation on a lot of different points. I think in terms of like the viability of our business model um, for one woman, Eric 44, um, being able to connect and see other people who are in a similar situation to us from the business perspective who want to kind of reach out to the community but are having a little bit of friction or teething problems with the, the start of like kind of trying to achieve their missions and their aims. I think what it's allowed me to do um, within One Room in Area 44 is kind of provide a holistic view of what we actually need to kind of take us to that next level. You know what I mean? In different aspects themselves, the marketing to kind of our financial strategy and planning and stuff like that. It's kind of put us in a position where 
we've become more focused on the targets that we want to hit. We have a kind of more clearer vision of where we want to get to in terms of growth, how we want to expand and stuff like that. And it's kind of make it more real that this is a viable opportunity for us to kind of build a business that is in with that, to build a business that can positively impact the the community and everyone around us. And I think that validation piece um, is really strong as well, because I think sometimes it's, it's very difficult when it feels like you're in an echo chamber. And even though we have had kind of like connections with other organizations and communities before, I think this was the first time like we've received funding like this on like no, this hasn't been a big scale but on a reasonable enough scale and the support as well and it's kind of given confidence to a lot of the ideas that we want to bring forth and kind of made a lot of this stuff more real to us as well as the financial um, support to help us kind of expand on our spaces refine them make them more aesthetically pleasing and even build out the functionality and buy equipment so that we can even provide a better service in terms of like room hire, studio rent, um, even just paying our rent as well. It's kind of giving us that foundation that look, with this startup, we can use it and turn it into something more real. As mentioned in previous episodes, the Grow Fund has a number of different workshops and sessions. Which one did AJ find most helpful and why? I really like the marketing one. In many ways, it was the missing piece. So I think the general theme for the Grow Fund, from my, from my perspective, has been it's given space to answer questions that we haven't finished answering for ourselves. So I think we all kind of intuitively know these kind of things because of our backgrounds and stuff. So it never, nothing felt totally new, but it was just for having space and having a structure to have to answer these questions. So the marketing one felt really good because it was like, like, yeah, like what is our USP? How do you frame it? How do we, how do we get to that point where it's a concrete offer rather than just where vibes and people like us and, we know that it's cool, so it's going to work. It's like, actually, how do you talk to different people? So I think that was a nice moment in the marketing one for myself. Ade also enjoyed the sessions and has a different pick for his favourite one. The Fear of Change session stood out for me because I think there's, there's I do a lot of, of thinking, planning and structuring in my own head. And sometimes it can be difficult to have full clarity in your own mind, but be bumping against hurdles when it comes to communicating and sharing that. So being able to do that as a more collective group, I think it was one of the sessions that we were able to do and then we were able to do a follow-up session with quite a good turnout for anyone that didn't attend and tackle it together. So I think because of that, it allowed us to kind of have a little bit more of a unified um, grounding when approaching things. And then for me, that it brought some personal vindication of actually there isn't the pressure to figure out how to communicate this because we've done it together in the first instance anyway. Ade opens up more about what the 25k grant means to them. Even though we haven't started spending the funding at a massive rate yet, but being able to have that like backing when you're talking about decision making, the decisions feel a lot realer and you're not dreamscaping anymore. I think that's the that's a different thing of this time last year, I think we had comparable activities and sessions to unearth potential outcomes for us. And there was definitely an energy of these are the things we're going to try our best to do. Whereas this year, having those similar conversations feels like we can actually make a decision to say we're going to do this in six months. How does being a Growth Fund recipient help with business confidence? If you ask Ade, it's a big help. 
the growth run for us, and I think because we we applied for a few things and didn't get it before getting this, it helped us believe in ourselves still a little bit. And for me, it helps me feel believed in. Sometimes you can underestimate how much that can support you in in continuing the work you're doing. So that actually, this is valid within the context. I think receiving that yes from the growth fund definitely reiterated that the work we're trying to do here is valid within the context. What would Ade say to someone who is considering applying for the growth fund? I would say definitely do it. Even if you feel confident in the things that you currently know and in your current um, knowledge base, I think there's something in just the consultation spaces sometimes in some of the sessions where you can speak to an expert. Even if you're an expert yourself, you can bounce your ideas off of someone. I think there's an immense value in not having to do this alone. So I think if you have the opportunity to definitely take on more support, it will make your life easier and it might even make you or might even support you to get closer to your goals much quicker than you thought as well. Definitely do it. Definitely give it a think. And if you feel you're in the right place, apply. And if you're not sure if you're in the right place, apply and let them say no to you. Don't say no to yourself. Adam dropped some more gems of advice for future growth on applicants. I think overall it's a good programme and I think a lot more of these things need to happen because it's that bridge between what is successful and what's starting up and I feel like a lot of us tend to have ideas that kind of fall away in the middle part because as you start the idea, what tends to happen is the the costs are low, um, the idea is great and everyone's vibing, everyone's having a good time and you're you're reaching out in the way that you want to. But as things start to expand, you start like if the structure hasn't been built what tends to happen is it can sometimes crumble under its own weight. I think the growth fund has given us the perspective that we can have a more stable future with these sorts of funding and that our, our mission and what we're trying to do by kind of creating that creative collective and by providing resources, space and equipment for those in our local area who want to kind of develop themselves creatively and even bring themselves into a community, a creative community that has connection and genuine friends and stuff like that. Um, that that stuff has value and there are people willing to support and like push it forward because ultimately I think as the world is kind of moving more like said before into that thing like sustainability and like community and social impact I think these are the things that are gonna help communities kind of stay genuine with each other so it doesn't just become like a a commercial landscape um, and completely gentrified with no nuance or no kind of grassroots help that's able to kind of tackle more marginalised people who, like bigger companies, probably don't necessarily have an understanding of or even have vision of. And what about the challenges of taking part in a programme like this? So I would 100% like caveat it as well, like, it's been amazing. And I think maybe this is not someone speaking to the fund, but to future people wanting to take on. It's like, it's definitely 1000% worth it, but the work is the work. And yeah, we're here for it, basically. So like maybe this is words of encouragement when things might seem hard, that like it is, it is hard to, it is worth it going for sticking for it. What does Ade love about Barking and Dagenham the most? Ade focuses on the diversity of experience that the borough offers. What I love about Barking and Dagenham is, and specifically Mark's Gate, is that Mark's Gate is a condensation of the whole of London the whole of London, you have like the little pop-in bit where the shops are. And then you also have farmer's fields that go on for miles. And then you also have council flats. And then you also have 
the detached homes near the back end, then you have a lake. I think Barking and Dagenham, compared to a lot of other boroughs in, in London, still retains that ability to give you a very diverse experience of life without necessarily having to leave the borough. I think you can have a rural experience, have a more metropolitan experience. You can get involved in arts and artistic things. You can, if you are actually interested, find your way into local politics still, and it's not as difficult as in other boroughs. So I think because of that, it still holds a lot of potential to allow a resident to have a very diverse um, experience of life. Two people could be living next door and be living entirely different lives and both could never actually leave the borough. And I really like that it still has a potential for that. For that. Thanks for listening to Nine Miles East with me, Elvi Matu. In this episode, you heard from AJ Hastroop, co-founder, social designer and events lead at One Room Live. Ade Youssef, Head of Collaborations and Partnerships at One Room Live. And Adam Satrifia, co-founder, studio and band manager at Area 44. This episode of Nine Miles East was produced by Chris Mitchell, Cass Denton and also Lucy Ditchmont, courtesy of The Feast Collective. Additional editing was by Engin Hassan and sound design was by Chris Mitchell. The podcast concept came from Louise Kavanagh at Purposeful Marketing. If you like what you've heard, feel free to leave a rating or a comment and tell all your friends about us. If you live in Barking and Dagenham and this episode makes you glow with pride, please share it with your neighbours, friends and local family. The more residents who know what's happening here, the better we can shape the future together. This podcast is brought to you by Barking and Dagenham Giving. To learn more about the Growth Fund and other things happening with BD Giving, please visit bdgiving.org.uk.